chapter five. And we're gonna continue in our series as we talk through the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna pick up in verse 21 of Matthew chapter five. We're gonna read that together. It'll be on the screen or we have Bibles in the back or I encourage you to turn there and read it with me. Matthew chapter five. Verse 21. It starts like this. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. He says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father, we just again, just thank you so much for the freedom and opportunity you give us to come into this space, God, and just to worship you. God, the simplicity of all it takes to create a moment of engagement with you, God, we are just so thankful for. And Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here. God, I pray that for all of us this morning, you would open our hearts and minds to your word. God, let us be challenged. Let us be convicted. Lord, let us be encouraged to know that you have laid out the path of life for us. God, that we don't have to navigate these dark spaces alone, but God, you give freely and willingly to us in our life. God, I pray for blessings. I pray for your words and not my own. God, let it not be the words of a fool, but God, let it be the wisdom that your word gives us. God, we just love you and praise you and love you so much. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So as we kind of continue to navigate through uh, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, we're talking through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, if you've been around church long enough, then you know it's one of Jesus' most famous times of teaching because of the way at which he did it. You know, and, and, and what he does here is he's teaching this group of people first with his disciples. Remember, we read back in, in chapter five, it talks about his disciples being right there with him. And then out from that, going to the multitudes that are kind of at this, they call it Sermon on the Mount because this place he's standing is kind of mountainside. And the way at which the landscape would have been, it helped amplify his voice so that others could hear. But he's teaching Christians here. He's teaching people who would call themselves believers. And so what he does and what's so awesome about this, these, these spaces that he's teaching in is that in a lot of ways it was very countercultural. It's very challenging to the religious people at the time. And so for them to hear these things is to kind of upend some of what they've always thought and how they've always navigated and so, you know, what, what we've kind of called this series, We the Kingdom, talking about Jesus kind of teaching his people how to be kingdom citizens. How do you live? How do you act? How do you navigate different spaces? And 
So, you know, starting in the beginning, we talked about how to, kind of the building blocks of that, the, 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 the poor in spirit, the meekness, kind of the, the soil at which the Christian heart has to be before you begin to move from that place. Because that's the cool thing about God is that God doesn't throw demands on us, doesn't throw to-do lists at us until he's cultivated our hearts and prepared us to be the people that he's called us to be. And so we started there and then we kind of moved into more kind of general commands. And then this morning we begin a stretch of six Old Testament laws that speak directly to life and action. And, it, and it's going to be challenging in a way. So as we enter into this, like we talked about last week, reading ahead, maybe praying a little bit and preparing ourselves because it's going to speak to some, pla- some places that we navigate. It's going to speak to some things that maybe we struggle through. You know, it's going to speak to some things. So like this morning, as we lean in and we see that we're speaking on anger, you know, this is something very practical for all of, for all of us because we can find ourselves in spaces of anger, being emotionally driven by our, our anger and how we feel in that regard. And then moving forward, lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation, all these things as we move into that, it'll get very challenging and very specific to us. But this morning, I want us to see something that the, the uniqueness about how Jesus navigates teaching and how he deals with his people is that it always comes from a place not of requiring external behavior. That's not what he's talking about. And where we'll see as we get into these verses, the place at which Jesus begins is the place at which everything we do has to start before any change will ever truly happen. And so there's two main things this morning that I want us to look at and two ways at which Jesus teaches us how to navigate spaces of anger. And the first thing he does is this, is he encourages us to bring it back to the heart. Bring it back to the heart. Which, like I said, with everything we talk about, every, every way at which God navigates and leads us always begins with our heart. Because, listen, if you've been around church long enough, then you know, you know you've been told and you've been laid out kind of the guidelines on how to act, right? Like, we can know how to act. But what God is calling us to do and what he's telling us and how we even begin here in in Matthew chapter 21, he's like, listen, the actions, the actions have to be an overflow of what's in here. It's got to be an overflow of what's in our heart. And only God himself, through our cooperation and leaning into what he's called us to, will he begin to mold and cultivate our hearts to be where it needs to be. And so he begins like this in verse 21. He says, you have heard to those of old, that it has been told to those of old. And so what's he doing here? When we read this verse, is he speaking directly to the people's traditions? He's speaking directly to their upbringing. He's speaking directly to what they would have known. He says, you have heard it said to those, uh, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And so he's speaking to what they know. And this is the thing. He goes straight to the source of their tradition, their upbringing, their expected responses to the subject. And I think this is where if we want to see any change in our hearts or in our lives and then how we navigate our families or relationships or whatever that looks like, any change for Christ in our lives, it has to go to first and foremost, what is the source of my life previously that has enforced how I have reacted or acted in certain situations? Because if, you know, for all of us, like we're all guilty of this. I mean, we're all products of our upbringing. We're all products of our tradition, of what's been told to us, how things have been handled, handed down to us. And let's really be honest, a lot of those things aren't perfect. Our parents aren't perfect. I'm not going to be a perfect parent to my children, and my children know that because I remind them of that all the time. 
And so, you know, we, we have to have a source. There's got to be something different than our traditions. There's got to be something different than our upbringings that guide and enforce the way that we act and respond to the things happening around us. Because anything on this earth, and not to say everything on the earth is faulty, not to say every parent is faulty, in a sense, in a sense we are faulty, we're imperfect, but not everything that's said and done and taught to us is per se wrong, but there's got to be an ultimate source bigger than the things that we lean on here around us, right? There's got to be a motivating factor that's different. And so what Jesus starts out by telling them here when he begins to lean into the subject is he's, like, he's telling them, he says, listen, this is how you used to hear it. This is how you used to see it, right? And what does he say? He says that the way you used to hear it is you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And so he's speaking to a very external act, right? Because murder is an act. It is an act that has been done. It has been, it has been acted out. So he says, you have heard that this is wrong. But then he moves on in verse 22 and he says, but I say to you. And so this is the significant thing for us in our Christian lives, in our lives as people, for my life as a parent, as a husband, as a person navigating the world that we live in. Is understanding and what Jesus begins to do here is he begins to establish his authority on the topics that he begins to engage with. And this is where for us that we have to always be reminded. This is one of the beautiful things about what we do when we gather on Sundays is reminding ourselves of, but I say to you from Christ, right? The but I say to you. In all situations, in all aspects of life, because the thing is God tells us in His Word that He's taught us, He's given us everything we need to live according to the life at which He's laid out for us. The, he's given us everything we need, need to live according to His calling, everything that we need to live according to the steps that he's, he's driving us to. And the reminder that we need and what Jesus is doing here, He says, listen, you've heard it this way. You've done it this way. You've lived it this way. You've acted it out this way. But I say to you, and the thing is, is that, that, that this, this law, you shall not murder, God had given this law. So is he undermining God? Absolutely not. Jesus is God himself incarnate. He is the one who has come to dwell among men, God among men. So he's not undermining himself. Is he being contradictory? No. What he's doing here, when Jesus is making himself the source, the guidance on the issue... What he's doing is he's bringing clarity to something that we've taken and we've misunderstood. And that's the beautiful thing. You know, a lot of times people say, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. No, the Bible's not full of contradictions. The Bible's constantly doing what it needs to do for us to bring clarity to situations. Even if things don't seem like they speak to the same thing, they do speak to the same thing. We're just not reading it properly or we're misinterpreting what's trying to be said there. You know, the thing for us is, you know, we'll get a lot of advice, right? We'll get a lot of advice today. We'll get a lot of advice in our life. We've gotten a lot of advice in our lives on how to live, how to act, how to respond, how to deal and navigate situations. But what Jesus is always wanting us to hear is the but I say to you. Because it's in that, it's in that that we find the true fullness of what God is calling us to is in Christ. Listen. I, I love my parents. You love your parents, but they're not going to give. We're not going to be able to get from them the fullness of what we need to live the Christian life. That's going to come from Christ. I, I can't give that to my kids. 
only Christ can. Like we talked about last week, if I, when we're pointing people to something, we're pointing them to Christ because Jake is faulty. Jake is a sinner. Jake falls and fails. And every other person that exists on this planet does the exact same thing. And so there's going to be a sense of faultiness to all of us that can offer a full completion of what we need. Only Christ can offer that. And so when we're navigating situations in our life, we have to always revert back to the Jesus is saying when he says, but I say to you, but I say to you, you need to hear this. You need to know this. And what does he say? In verse 22, he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So what's happening? What's happening? He, he's saying the exact same thing. He says, they, they said, the law said that if you murdered, you were liable to judgment. But I say that if you're angry, if you're angry with his brother, brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And so what, are, what, are, what is Jesus saying here? He's associating the sin of murder with anger. And the thing we need to know about this is it's not because he's saying to be angry is the same as murder in a physical sense, but the problem is within us, the state of our heart, the place at which we navigate. Because the thing is, the religious leaders at the time, and for us even, it's very easy for us to externalize everything to a point where we judge everything based off of what's out here. And so the, the religious leaders had had it convinced in their mind. They focused heavily on the external acts that they were, they were missing the true nature of men that stems from the heart. Because Matthew chapter 15 tells us this, from out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And so the Bible tells us that the issues around us are from what's in here. It's from within our heart. It's from what's been cultivated within here. It's not to focus on the outside. And because what we do is when we focus on the external, then we judge everything based on the action that is actually a reaction to what's in here. Everything we do in life is a reflection, a reaction of what's in our heart. And the problem is, is when, we, when we refuse to believe that our heart is capable of reacting in certain ways that are sinful or rebellious towards God, or if we've convinced ourselves, as we can do in church spaces because it's a lot more tangible and measurable, that we judge everything based off of what's happening, right? The, the what's being done, the what's being acted out, because what it does is it neglects to ever truly consider what's in the heart. Listen, you know, thinking of it like this, you know, people give and give and give and they serve and serve and serve. But if their heart's not into it, God says that he doesn't want it. God says, it. he says, I don't I don't want your offering. I don't want your religious activities. I want you. I want your heart. I want your heart to be wrapped up in who I am and what I'm doing. Do your actions mean nothing if our hearts don't align with the will of God for what he's doing and what he's calling us to? Listen, we can do a lot of empty things. And listen, church people for a long time have done a lot of empty things just for the sake of doing things. And that's not what God has called us to. Right? Like we can do a lot of really great, good things. But listen, a lot of people, a lot of really good people who don't believe in God do a lot of good, great things. There's got to be something different about the people of God. And the different thing about the people of God is our hearts are wrapped up in Him. Our hearts are molded to His. Our hearts are committed to Him. And who he is and what he's doing. And so he says, he says, listen, 
He says, you've heard that it's wrong to murder. I'm telling you that anger in your heart is just as wrong because it robs you. It robs you of life. It robs us of experience. It robs us of being able to live and to act in the world around us. Jesus is telling them that they must start in the heart. Deal with your heart. Deal with the internal state of your heart because from there it leads you down a progressive path of hatred that must be dealt with. Anger in the heart of a believer is toxic in any capacity, right? It's toxic. And he, and he begins to kind of lay out this very progressive kind of uh, um, space at which those things happen. He says that if you're, you know, the first you're angry with your brother, he starts there because that's more internal, right? You can't necessarily see anger all the time. Like we can walk around and be angry but act like we're not. And so it starts internal. He says that, that if you're angry with your brother, that you'll be liable to judgment. So that's internal. And then he moves on. He says whoever insults his brother. And so this is like slander or gossip behind their back. And so you see how it's progressed from this internal thing because of how we are as people. Right? We're angry. And then we want to try to get everyone else angry with them because we're mad, right? We do that, right? We get mad at people and we want everybody to know how low down dirty they are. If you heard what they did, right? Like, have you, did you see what they did? So we're, we're angry internally. It moves to slander and insults. And then it progresses to the last one where he says, whoever says, you fool. So it, it developed into this more direct conflict. Why? Because of the heart. Because there was anger in the heart. Anger led to insults and slander. The slander led to action. It led to a response. It led to, and that's what he's saying. That's why he's saying, listen, the murder is, is the product. The murder is the product of what's in the heart. And so he's telling them there's this progression of intensity. This fire that grows deeper within the heart when it's not dealt with, with the expression of our emotion, it exacerbates it, it develops it. You know, and it leads to this emotional outburst. You know, I was reading some statistics this week. Most crimes are committed without a weapon. Over 70% of violent crimes are committed without a weapon. Can you imagine how angry someone has to be to commit a violent crime without a weapon? You know, it takes, it takes some anger. It takes some anger built up within us. But that's what we're capable of. That's what we as human beings within our weakness, when we have anger within us that isn't dealt with. And listen, and that seems very grandiose, right? Like that seems big. And listen, I'm not assuming that anyone in here will commit that type of act of violence. But on a smaller scale, within our lives, among each other, because listen, number one, we need to understand he's, he's talking about Christian to Christian relationships here. There are other spots in the Bible where he talks about our enemy or those kind of outside of the family of God. And what does he say about our enemy? That's another message for another day. But love your enemy, you know, actually serve your enemy, that type of thing. But when we move closer in, he's specifically talking about people who call themselves Christians, how we deal with each other. Because anger built up in the heart, heart of a believer is detrimental to our growth and development. It's detrimental to our movement. It's detrimental to our growth. 
You know, I read a quote this week. It said this. It said, The supervision of the kingdom does not begin by arresting a criminal with blood red hands. It arrests the man in whom the murder spirit is just born. Listen, that's what we're within our hearts when anger is not dealt with. And listen, and we get so, so angry with people sometimes, right? We get so, so angry with people. And especially in the world that we live in that really points to it being all about us, kind of the humanistic mindset of the world that we navigate, is that especially whenever you're wronged, that we feel justified in our anger, and then we even feel justified in our responses to our anger because they've hurt me. And the world system is very reactionary, right? Because when I've been hurt, when I've been made angry, when I've been dealt wrongly with, then they need to pay. And we've talked about this a little before. There needs to be justice, right? We need to respond. We need to react. Something needs to happen. They need to know what they've done wrong. And so we take it upon ourselves kind of as the, the, the emotional bounty hunters that we need to take care of this. And that's the progression, right? There's the anger. Then it moves into insults and slander because we want everyone else to be angry with us at what they've done wrong to us and then it moves to this eventual conflict that happens to this unresolvable moment where you know and we think to ourselves well to call someone a fool isn't that big of a deal right but when the bible speaks of calling another human being a fool it is the deepest strongest kind of degradation that you can throw at someone so it's speaking of a conflict that is vicious and so like i said maybe not even to the degree of that, of murder, per se. But even thinking about the effects of bitterness built up in our hearts towards people, if, if we would even really take a moment and consider that, if we've been hurt, and listen, we've all found ourselves hurt by someone in some degree. Think right now about the current state of bitterness you have towards that person. Think about the experiences that bitterness has caused you. Think about the things you've said about that person because of the bitterness and anger in your heart. Especially if it deals with the household of God. Because listen, a lot of us in our lives, we think, which should be the case, but we think to ourselves even that, man, people who call themselves Christians should not act this way. I should not have these relationships. I should not feel this way about those types of people. But Jesus is teaching on it because he believes that we will have those types of relationships. We will have those moments when we are angry with brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, you know, there, it is very likely for us to find ourselves at those places. And he tells us, listen, anger that incubates, right? Anger that grows and develops that we will not forget, an anger that refuses to be pacified, an anger that seeks revenge. Like, that's the kind of anger he's talking about. And listen, if we're really honest with ourselves, that's, that's an anger that's not too far from us. Listen, and we navigate those spaces. We navigate those spaces with people. Listen, we navigate those spaces with church people. I've navigated those spaces with church people. With Christian people. And it robs you. And that's what, you know, as we move forward... To begin to understand what does that do to us. And so Jesus continues to teach on it. And I love Jesus' teaching on it. And it's always easier said than done. But it's the place at which God calls us to. It's the place at which God calls us to because he knows it's best for us. And it's even better for the relationships we have. So not only does Jesus instruct him to bring it back to the heart to listen. That everything, everything is a response to what we've allowed to develop in our hearts. And so what does he say to do? 
not only bring it back to the heart, but the second last thing is this, is to take a shot at making it right. Man, and that's tough. That is tough. And listen, he's speaking to it on both ends. Not just on the wronged end, on, on, on the, the one who, who if, if we've wronged someone, but also speaking of it, if someone has wronged us. Because he's talking about, when we, if you read later on, he's talking about the, your accuser. As if you've done something wrong. And so I love how Jesus begins to teach this and He kind of begins to teach it in a way of that you need to engage it. You need to discuss it. If you've got anger built up in your heart towards someone, you need to acknowledge it and deal with it. And, that, and I love Jesus' teaching as He continues here on in verse 23. He says, and this, this transition is just so neat to me. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. So what is he saying here? Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's speaking of someone who is actively participating in a religious duty of worship. And what does he say? If you are at the altar preparing to worship and you remember that you have an issue, you have a bitterness or they have bitterness against you, what do you do? He says, leave your gift. Stop that moment of worship now. Is he telling us that our worship is not important or that our religious practices aren't important? Absolutely not. But what he's telling us is that if bitterness and anger are built up in our heart, that the most important thing we do in those moments is seek to reconcile. It's to seek to fix it, to seek to face it, to seek to have that moment where you begin to engage with what's been built up in our hearts, what's been sucking the life out of us, that what's made every trip to the grocery store awkward, what's made every other relationship we have uncomfortable, what's made the things that we do made us apprehensive to step out, to be a part, to take steps of growth in our Christian life. He says, leave all of it and Face the issue. Deal with the problem. And listen, and that is tough because that takes a lot of humility, right? That takes tons of humility. But like we talked about several weeks back at the beginning of this, this message, that's why at the foundation of our Christian life, humility and meekness has to be there. Because listen, a lot of times in our issues, in our bitterness and anger we have built up towards other people, we can justify being angry. We can justify being bitter. We can justify, and we do this a lot of times, justifying our minds why that person doesn't deserve another second of my time. We can make sense of it. It's not hard to figure out what's wrong with people, right? Like we can, we can point out a lot of problems in people. You can point out a lot of problems in me if you've been around me long enough. I promise you. The, the thing that Christ calls us to is in the midst of all that, to still seek to make it right to still seek to make it right. What does he say? He says, leave your gift and go. And he says in verse 24, first to be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. He says, listen, you cannot worship God adequately if you are built up with anger and bitterness towards a brother or sister in Christ. You cannot do it. And listen, we're not only talking externally like the friends and people that we associate with at church. We're also speaking of more close to us, more close to the chest, right? Our, our families, our, 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 our spouses, right? Our, 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 those close, those that we deal with, those that we navigate. But he talks about here, he doesn't completely discount our religious worship and practices, but he shows us that we can't truly enter focused worship if reconciliation needs to happen. 
There are important steps that we have to take. And listen, like I said, as religious people, we can, we can justify a lot of times, and religious people do all the time, justify a lot of times to push people away. Because there are times when the Bible talks about avoiding them. There are times when the Bible talks about casting them out. There are times when the Bible speaks of these things. But that action of avoiding and casting out is always at the end of extensive work to seek reconciliation. Titus 3.10 talks about this. As, a, as for a person who stirs up division... As a person who stirs up division, he says, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. So there's always a practice, right? There's always a process to dealing with people. The worst thing that we ever do with Christians is to pretend like or act like people have done enough bad that I need to completely avoid them. If you have not attempted to seek reconciliation, that we have not stepped into or fulfilled the work that Christ has called us to. Listen, read another quote this week. It says, Reconciliation does not demand that one side surrender to the other. And this is the thing we need to understand about reconciliation. Reconciliation does not demand that one side surrender to the other. The simple mutual recognition that mistakes were made is in itself a closing of the divide. And that's what we want. That's what we want to do. We want to make our best attempt at closing that divide. Listen, the thing is, is that we can't always control how someone reacts to our best attempts at seeking reconciliation. We can't help it. Listen, we may seek, and listen, especially as church people, you're all here this morning. You're, you're a part of a church plant that has been in existence for five years this morning because of two things. Either you've never been in church and you're here, which we are so thankful for, or you've been a part of a church that hurt you deeply. And I'm grateful that we can be a place that you can come. But the reality is, if you have angerness and, built, and, 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 and bitterness built up in your hearts towards people, we can't allow it to continue. doesn't mean you have to agree. It doesn't mean that you have to fall on their side. Reconciliation doesn't mean agreement or surrender to one's will. But it's our best attempt at closing that divide, closing that space between us. Ephesians 4, 26-27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Because Paul knows that when we have angerness and, built, and, and, and bitterness built up in our heart, I mean, we try to practice that even in our family, you know. And, and it's easier, like I said, sometimes the easy thing to do is just, ugh, like I'm just so frustrated. I just want to disconnect from everything and everybody and just be away from them. That is, that is the easy thing to do. But the longer that we allow those things to cultivate the deeper and deeper and wider and wider that divide gets. And imagine how that happens in a relationship between a husband and wife, right? We allow anger to continue to develop and well up within us. What happens? That divide gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He says, first be reconciled to your brothers. And not only that, then he continues on. He says, come to terms with your accuser quickly. Come to terms quickly. Don't waste time. Don't put it off. Like, seek to do it. Seek to make things better the best you can, making your best attempt. You know, because the thing is, you may be right. And this is, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 5 through 7. It says this. Paul says, I say this to, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? He says, but brother, but brother goes to law against you, and that before, and that before unbelievers. 
You know, and this is the thing that we have to understand, and I may have typed it wrong, but to, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? What he's saying here, and this is the thing that we have to know, in verse 6 it says this. It says, it says it with a question. That before believers, right? Uh, that before unbelievers. That before unbelievers. What he's saying is, in the family of God, we have an audience. And that audience is the world around us. That audience is the unbelieving world. They're not, they're not necessarily watching each other. They're watching us. They're watching our hot mess, right? They're watching our, our division. They're watching our inability to reconcile differences. They're, they're, they're watching us break apart. They're watching us be angry and hateful towards each other. They're watching us be wolves. And they're thinking to themselves, why in your God's holy name would I want to be a part of that? There's enough mess happening around me. Why do I want to willingly put myself in the middle of more mess? Well, that's why the Bible teaches on this, that if we have accusers, if we have accused someone else, listen, go to them. Reconcile, making your best attempt to close that divide. Listen, it will never, may never completely, completely seal it up when he says make your best attempt at closing that divide. Not letting the sun go down on our anger so that we do not create opportunity for the devil. And he says to do it quickly. Because if we don't do it quickly, it makes neglecting it easier over time. Seek it eagerly, aggressively, quickly. It's better to be wrong than to allow a dispute between Christian brothers and sisters to dishonor Christ because he tells us this is all for the kingdom of God, right? We may be right. We may have the upper hand, but God is calling us to step in line with reconciliation for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of our influence to the unbelieving world around us. Listen, like I said, we can't control how someone's going to respond. And listen, I've had those situations in my life. Like I said, if, 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 you're, if you're hurt by people, Christian people, church people, the thing that I know about church people because I, I've been those church people before is that church people can tend to be a little prideful and we don't like to admit when we're wrong. And so a lot of times when we seek out reconciliation, we begin to have a conversation and lean in and say, listen, I'm sorry for anything that I did to cause a problem, to contribute to the issues. And you begin to go through this, and you begin to do your best attempts at seeking reconciliation, it's very likely that people still may respond with, well, I accept your apology, but you're not forgiven, and I still view you this way. I still want to see this for you. I still don't want you to succeed. I still don't want to see things put together and pulled together for you. I'm sorry. You've just done too much to me. They may respond that way. But the thing about it is that what that is for you, and listen, I'm not saying that the things we do are for our own selfish affirmation, but the thing that, that should reveal to you is the status of your heart because of the heart it takes, the humility it takes to lean into those situations and to say, I want to see things get better. Even though I have enough reasons not to, I want to see things get better. I want to see reconciliation. I want to see a closure of that divide. Why? Why is that? And I think this verse at the end says everything of why we need to do it. He says, because in verse 26, you will never get out until you have paid the last 
penny. He says right before this that you'd be put in prison. He says, truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Listen, built up anger within our hearts, bitterness in our hearts that is not dealt with, that is not faced, will cultivate and create a prison that will be high cost with low gain in our lives. It will require everything from us and not give us anything back. It will rob us of any joy and create within us a difficulty to ever truly begin to take steps of healing relationally in the lives around us. Listen, the thing that I can promise you and the thing that you know, you know right now that there are people in your life that have experienced hurt from Christian brothers and sisters and that they have been convinced that the best choice for them is to completely avoid any other faith family, any other gathering that God, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be in that. Right? And so there's twofold responsibility on that. But God has called us when they're within us, when it deals with us personally, that we seek reconciliation. Because if not, it will create a prison that we will not be able to escape from. Holding on to anger and bitterness. It's a prison. It's a, it imprisons us in a cell surrounded by thick walls of expectations and pride that entraps us. And so why does this matter? You know, the worship team can go ahead and start to come up. And we're going to worship the Lord together as we kind of finish out this morning. But I always like to kind of bring it back to this. Because we can say a whole lot of things. But if we don't understand why it matters, then all of it's meaningless. So why does this matter? This all matters. Us understanding that anger, even though it's within our hearts and it's not at this point creating problems, anger built up in our hearts, bitterness in our hearts, will eventually lead to a place of slander and insults, like it says, to eventually lead to a place of action where we are actually living out our anger, acting out our anger in ways that is negatively affecting the people around us. So why does this matter? Unchecked, neglected feelings of anger and resentment will consume us. It will rob us of joy in life. And most of all, and this is the thing we have to know about anger and bitterness, especially towards the people of God, towards Christian brothers and sisters. Anger and bitterness not dealt with within us, most of all will become a black hole that will inevitably suck others into that same misery with us. It will bring them in. It'll bring them in. Listen, and like I said, reconciliation does not mean that we step into agreement with everything that's happened. We don't have to agree on everything. But what our best attempts at reconciliation does is it closes the divide. It helps the unbelieving world see that, you know what, we're not perfect and we're not afraid to admit that we're not perfect, but we want to make our best attempts at making things good if we can. And it's not always going to be that way. They're not always going to respond the way that we think. But like I said, whether it's that far out or whether it's even closer to the chest, when we're dealing with the people around us, we're dealing with our own faith family, we're dealing with our spouses, we're dealing with our kids, we're dealing with our parents, whatever it might be, that the Bible tells us if we've got anger and bitterness welling up within our hearts, the worst thing that we can ever do is pretend like it's not there. Let's acknowledge it. Let's seek the Lord to ask Him to help me. Lord, help us deal with it before we get to points, if we're not already there, of slandering and casting insults. And then even before we get to the next step where we're actively participating in our anger, where the other person has become a victim of our anger. Let's deal with it. 
Let's deal with it now. Let's not allow it to rob our, our relationships. Let's not allow it to destroy our witness. Let's not allow it to become a black hole that sucks everything, every, everybody close to us up in it. Because listen, if an individual is angry at people, right? And their responses reveal that they're angry at people. It's going to affect the people close to them, right? It's going to affect their spouse. It's going to affect their kids. If you have a couple that is angry, angry at people, angry at Christians, angry at individuals in the, that they've had relationships with, and they continue to cultivate that, it's going to affect our children, right? It's going to affect their mindset, how they view with people, how they navigate conflicts, how they deal with anger. Church, dealing with anger begins in the heart. The inmost being of who we are, guiding our motivation, guiding our responses, guiding our recovery and our reconciliation. Listen, the religious people at the time, they would say this, well, I haven't killed anyone, right? I haven't acted out. I haven't done anything wrong. My actions haven't done anything. I haven't done anything wrong in the dispute. But listen, Jesus says, if you're angry, if you're angry, you're liable to judgment. And not only that, but he says, if you if you lash out at your brother, if you lash out at your brother and call him you fool, you will be liable to hell, to the hell of fire. And what he's talking about is he's using this word called Gehenna. And what this place was is it was a place of constant burning. Literally a dumpster fire. It was a place where they brought their trash. There's a place where human sacrifice happened and it constantly burned there. Literally a dumpster fire, church. Built up anger that results in action in our lives. Literally, it's a dumpster fire of a mess that is no good for anyone and it's not pleasant for anyone. He says, listen, acknowledge where we're angry. Acknowledge it. The weak thing, the easy thing is to pretend like it's not there and to hide it. Strength and courage comes when we stand in the gap and we go to someone we've hurt or someone who's hurt us that has cultivated anger and bitterness in our hearts. And we begin to seek reconciliation. Like I said, that gap may never completely seal, but that divide will get smaller. And it matters. It matters. Don't let anger cultivate in our hearts. Don't let anger be present. Deal with it. Face it. Communicate it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because it's an opportunity for the enemy to find a foothold in your life. And he'll use it. He'll use it to create divides. He'll use it to make you lash out. He'll use it to rob you of the Christ, the, the Christian experience that Christ has for you. He'll use you to he'll rob you of any opportunities that you would ever seek or have in spiritual growth, in relational growth because of the anger that's been cultivated. He says, deal with it. Face it. And that God will bless you. Listen, I want to challenge us this morning as we begin to worship and, 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 and kind of enter into a time of response where we will pray and we'll seek the Lord together. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you as we sing to see God. And however that is, respond however you see fit. Listen, we've put some chairs behind this curtain over here. Garen will be over there. If you want to grab somebody and go pray, you want to go pray with him, you have things going on, you want to seek the Lord and just maybe you just need a space to be alone for a second, go find it. Go see God this morning. 
Listen, if you know God greatly, but you've, you feel distant in your relationship with Him, He says, come to the table. Come to the table. I've made a place for you. If you, don't, if you feel as if you've never truly put your faith in Christ, become a child of His and just given and sold out to Him, mingled your heart together with God's. God says, come. Bring your mess. Bring your burdens. Bring your struggles. Bring them to me and I will give you rest. The beautiful thing about our God is our God is not a distant God that we have to seek after. Our God is a God that comes after us. He is here. He is present with us. Church, I just want to pray together. I want us to pray together as we seek the Lord and then we're going to sing and then I just want to encourage you to worship and react and respond and seek God and pray how you see fit. Go ahead and stand with us this morning and then we'll pray together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us to worship your holy name. God, I thank you. Lord, that in all the ways that I I know I've made you angry in my lifetime, God, that you've created spaces and ways of reconciliation. God, that you've offered me an opportunity to be closer, to close the divide with you. So Father God, I pray this morning that if any of us here are cultivating anger or bitterness in our hearts, Lord, if any of us here, Lord, are being robbed of life experience because of past neglect, past hurts, past problems. God, I pray that you would begin to lead us towards spaces of reconciliation, God. Lord, help us to see the beauty and the glory of what you've called us to. God, help us to see the true living life that awaits us, free from the prison that is costing us so much, free from the prison of hate and anger that is welled up within us. Father, I just thank you that you forgive us, God. I thank you that you heal broken hearts this morning. So God, help us to see you and to seek you in all the ways that you've called us to, Lord. We love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name.